Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading! If you're a little bit tired by life down here on Earth and you think a quick trip around the universe might spice things up, you've come to the right place. Welcome to a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. My name's Dan. This is the podcast where we explore the solar system to learn all those science secrets lurking inside, sometimes a little bit further too. This week, we're chatting to Amy Meek, She's been on the show before. You might remember she set up Kids Against Plastic a few years ago when she was still in school. Well, now she's growing up and you can find out why she is still passionate about talking to very important people to help save the world. I always try to be optimistic when it comes to our planet, because for me, that's the thing that helps me keep going to try and protect it. Also, we'll take a trip to the smartest school in the solar system, Deep Space High. We are weather watching this week, learning about how solar storms affect our life on Earth. We're in the middle of a massive coronal mass ejection, and the solar winds are carrying a colossal amount of electrical energy. Up here, it can affect anything with electrical circuits. Spacecraft, satellites, communication arrays. And the labs at Deep Space High. Certainly seems like it. And I've got your questions to answer, as always, this week. It's on why ice makes strange noise and how we actually see it's coming up in a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's kick things off with your science in the news. It's a big happy birthday to the James Webb Space Telescope, who is a year old today. I can't believe that. It feels like we've talked about it being made for years and years and years and years and then the long process of actually getting it up and unfurled into space pointing in the right direction well now it's been there for a year it's a giant telescope that looks for things at the very edge of our universe the oldest things around to celebrate it's taken a photo of the Ro Ophiuchi cloud complex which is a place 400 light years away where a lot of stars are made. It's a dense, thick place of gas and dust, and the photo shows it in much more detail than ever before, this swirling mess, bright lights. In the middle, there is a white nebula star called S1, which is a few million years old. This picture is all over the internet. Do have a look for that first anniversary shot from the James Webb Space Telescope. Also, where you live, have you seen those anti-bird spikes? They uh, look very mean, normally little spikes that sit on walls or buildings and they try to stop birds landing or nesting on them. Well, that's the idea, but it turns out that, well, birds are laughing at us, they're much smarter than us, because some scientists have discovered that some birds use them as their own defence for their nests. They build their nests around the spikes, using them to strengthen the walls and to keep other creatures away from their homes. How amazing is that? We are using them to try and keep birds away pests away and they're using it for the same reason to try and keep other pests and other birds away from their nest it's brilliant how life adapts to what's around it and finally the ariane 5 one of europe's oldest working rockets has flown its final mission it's launched successfully on 115 missions its last one was to take two satellites into the air the problem is 
Now it's retired, the European Space Agency doesn't have the next one, Ariane 6, ready just yet. It's still testing. It might not make its debut. It's a sleeker, lighter rocket, but it might not be up there until next year. It is fascinating to hear about all these changes happening out in space from us travelling to the moon and then further on from commercial flight and us building different, bigger, better, lighter ways to make it across the universe. Let's catch up with Techno Mum then. She is our gadget genius. She is an expert. She knows everything about all different bits of technology, the stuff before, the stuff we have at the moment, and things that might be popping up in the future. Techno Mum this week, she is looking at the exciting engineering behind different gadgets, and we're heading to the airport to learn about what's happening in the air and on planes. Techno Mum with the Institution of Engineering and Technology, advancing and sharing knowledge. Techno Mum and I were at the airport to meet Dad. He'd been away with work for a few days and I couldn't wait to see him. You see, he always brings me a cool present when he comes back. All right, I admit it, I miss him a bit too. Anyway, we were checking out the planes whilst waiting for Dad to arrive. Wow, look at that one. Looks like a double-decker. That's an Airbus A380. You'd get over 800 people on there. I rather like the smaller private jets. Just me, an in-flight movie and a big box of chocolates. Oh well, a girl can dream. The plane in front of us was refuelling. A big tanker was sat next to it and a huge pipe was feeding the fuel in. (laughs) It's a bit like us at the petrol station, isn't it? A bit? I bet he gets more reward points than we do, though. (laughs) There were vans, too, delivering food to the plane, and this made me wonder about meals on planes. Well, it was nearly lunchtime. How do they keep all that food warm? Won't it be cold by the time the passengers get on board? No, they have ovens on board, don't they? You remember when we went to Spain? We got that funny omelette and chips to eat. Yeah, and I remember there was the terrible in-flight movie they showed, a boring old documentary about seagulls. Dad fell asleep. It was pretty boring, but where do you think all the electricity came from to power the movie screen and to keep the meals hot? And also to run the air conditioning and make the tea and things like that. Um, isn't it just those big engines on the wing? They look powerful enough. Mm, Not quite. Those engines give the plane the thrust it needs to take off. And they're not always on, are they? When you get onto a plane, the lights may be on, but the engine isn't. Good point, Mum. Well, I don't know. Maybe the bottom of the plane is full of enormous batteries. They'd have to be enormous. Actually, you're a little bit right. The main jet engines often have generators attached, which store some of the power to run everything inside the plane. But when a plane is as big as a jumbo jet or an A380, they need something a bit bigger. It's called an APU. Isn't he the shopkeeper on The Simpsons? No, silly. It's an auxiliary power unit. It's a special engine to provide the plane's electricity. You can see its exhaust on the tail sometimes. Look, they've finished refueling that plane. Let's see what happens next. That APU is about to start a very important job. It starts the engines. Bingo. And as those engines need a lot of starting, they're enormous. Come on, that's your dad's flight. He's through the gate. That means it's nearly present o'clock. Wonder what he's got me. Oi, cheeky. He's not Father Christmas, he's your dad. I hope he didn't bring me clothes. I'll be leaving you at the lost property if you carry on like that. Techno Mum, with the Institution of Engineering and Technology. Advancing and sharing technology. More from Techno Mum next week. Right now, my favourite part of the show. I love Techno Mum, but I love answering your questions more. 
uh, every week, if you've got something science-y that you want answered, doesn't matter what it sounds like, it can be the silliest thing ever if it's science-y, I will do the digging to find out what's true, what's wrong, what is right, and what we can learn. Just make sure you send it as a voice note to the free Fun Kids app or record yourself at funkidslive.com. That way you can star in the show or you can leave it as a review for the Fun Kid Science Weekly over on Apple Podcasts. Gabriella's done that. She is 13. She wants to know, why does ice make those cracking noises when you put it in a glass of cold water? I mean, it really does, Gabrielle. I've never properly thought about this before. It's just one of those things that you notice then forget about. But when you pop ice into cold water, it almost starts to fizz, doesn't it? It cracks. There's a strange sound creeping out like a mini earthquake in your drink. It's because an ice cube is very cold, about minus 18 degrees. A glass of tap water is much warmer than that, around 10 degrees C. So that's almost 30 degrees of difference. So as soon as that ice hits the water, the outside of it starts to melt quickly. But the inside, it's cold enough to stay frozen. And this makes a tension. It makes a tug of war where some parts of the ice wants to melt and break away from the middle. Other parts want to stay frozen like it is. So as it changes form, as this tussle and fight's going on, that moving, the melting of all the molecules and way that they're bound in there, the tension makes those cracking noises that you hear as it changes. Thank you for the question. This one is from Oliver, who's also sent a review over to Apple Podcasts. He wants to know, how do we see? It's all to do with the way that your eye is shaped and what's inside it. Your pupil and the lens that's in your eye just behind it are shaped in a way so that you can look at a lot at one time and you can take in a lot of light. Remember, how we see things is by light reflecting off objects and surfaces and coming back to us. They curve that light and focus it towards the retina at the back of your eye. Your retina is a very special layer of tissue that's very sensitive at picking up light. It's brilliant at reacting to it and focusing it you've got these special cells in there called photoreceptors they turn that light into electrical signals and the signals then travel to your brain and it makes you see the pictures that you do just think how quickly that happens it's almost like we're constantly living a second or a point naught 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 one of a second behind what's really happening because the light needs to hit the back of your eye and that needs to send a signal to your brain so everything's slightly delayed that's really mind-boggling to get your brain around oliver thank you for making me do that for being a little bit boggled thank you for the question if there is something you want answered on the show next week make sure you send it as a voice note to me on the free fun kids app or at funkidslive.com Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. This week, we are chatting to someone who has spent a lot of her time growing up trying to save the world. Amy Meek founded Kids Against Plastic, works for Common Seas now and is doing a whole lot. Amy, thank you for being there. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Amy, back three years ago, we spoke. Kids Against Plastic was a thing, but it was kind of just starting out. You had released a book. How has our use of plastic in the world changed in the last three years? 
That is a really good question. And to be honest, it's not an easy one to answer. But I think, to be honest, our use of plastic is becoming better in the world. Because last time we spoke, we were actually in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, if I remember correctly. So that was a time when our use of plastic worldwide really skyrocketed, not only because of the medical use of plastic, which you could argue at the moment is one of its more necessary functions, but because people were starting to use plastic again for everything, whether it was getting takeout drinks because they didn't want to use something that was reusable in case, you know, it carried uh, germs and things on it. And the really good thing is that now we've come out of the pandemic and people have started to see that actually it is still safe to use things like reusable items. And there's so much awareness of plastic now, even compared to when we first started our charity, that actually worldwide use of plastic, whilst it's still increasing, there's much more awareness and there's much more action like bans by governments and campaigns being run to try and encourage people to use less and especially for companies to produce less plastic. It's interesting that this is all happening, but you said that our use of plastic is still going up. Even with all that, how optimistic are you for the future that eventually we can drastically cut single-use plastics down? I think it's not going to be an easy thing to achieve, but I always try to be optimistic when it comes to our planet, because for me, that's the thing that helps me keep going to try and protect it. Because I think if we start going it's doom and gloom, it's the end of the world, we're not going to manage to tackle this issue that really needs addressing, then, you know, what's the motivation to actually try and do anything about it? Whereas I try and remain realistically optimistic, I think, where I'm not saying this is going to be an easy thing to achieve. There's definitely a long way to go and we need much more awareness, but also much more action on a large scale from people like governments and companies. But I think that we can do it. And I think there's been so much progress over the last few years that we just really need to keep pushing. And especially as young people, we have such important voices in this fight as well. In the last three years, under Kids Against Plastic, you've done some pretty incredible things and had to chat to some pretty important people. How difficult has it been, you know, being being young, like being part of Kids Against Plastic, getting these old quite serious people who might be a bit set in their ways and aren't that focused about the future to kind of take you seriously and listen to what you think. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes it can be quite tricky. I think that when you go into a a room full of important people as a young person, sometimes they might not take you as seriously as you hope to be taken. But the thing is, there are so many young people doing work for our environment now that actually it's becoming a much more common to have a young person stand up in a room and say, look, you really need to take action on this issue. And I think that's great to see because young people have such important voices in this fight because we really have the urgency to take action on this issue that sometimes is lacked by people in really big positions of power. So we have a hugely important role to go into rooms and kind of shake things up a bit and say, look, we really need to see action now for some of these issues. And even if it can be hard and even if sometimes you might not be taken seriously it doesn't mean that it's not important to do and we really need to keep going with it and your work with kids against plastic has mean you're now like a voice bigger than just the plastic concern you're doing all sorts and you are working with common seas at the moment i know that you did a lot about world ocean day a month or so ago just tell us about your role there So Common Seas are an organisation that we've been working with for the last few years as part of Kids Against Plastic, especially around our schools initiative, which is called Plastic Clever Schools. And Plastic Clever Schools is all about helping young people realise what they can do with their teachers and their schools to reduce their plastic usage in a way that's 
more manageable. So not like saying you've got to jump to being completely plastic free, but actually here are some really small things that you can all get involved in in your school and that you as a young person can lead. And so with Common Seas, we've been doing loads of work on this initiative over the last couple of years. And we've had over 700 schools sign up since it's relaunched just over a year and a bit ago. And actually for World Oceans Day for Schools this year, as you mentioned, uh, we worked with them to produce a video which was presented by one of our Kids Against Plastic members, who was this 12-year-old girl called Inaya, who did an incredible job. And the video was all about the amazing parts of our ocean and how important it is the damage that humans are doing to it, but most importantly, what we can all do to try and make an impact on this issue of plastic or even more widely as well. Now, I know what schools are like. And quite often, if someone kind of puts their head above the rest and does something that's slightly different that maybe not everyone else is doing, uh, it's not always taken really well, right? People can say some quite mean things. Now, just remembering back to when you started Kids Against Plastic, uh, like what was that like? How, how did everyone else that you were around and schoolmates and other kids that you were with at school, how did they take that? Yeah, to be honest, I'm going to be honest and say it wasn't always easy. Exactly as you said, I think sometimes people just don't fully get why you're doing something, especially if it's something a little bit different, like running a campaign called Kids Against Plastic for the Environment. You know, that's not something that most of our schoolmates will hear about most people doing. And I think for us, a lot of that negativity came from lack of awareness around these issues. And it's been amazing in the last few years to see how many young people are now educated on some of the big issues facing our planet. But I think the really important thing to remember, and the thing that we always tried to remember when we first started Kids Against Plastic, is firstly how important what you're doing is, and to not let any negativity stop you. But also remember that even if people at your school don't quite fully get what you're doing, there are so many young people around the world who are completely in your corner and are here to support you, which is exactly why we run Kids Against Plastic, to really create this positive network of young people who can come together and say, look, we all care about this. We all have the same mindset around this. How can we support each other and really make a difference? Now, not everyone listening maybe can start their own campaign, start their own charity. But if we are looking towards the future to really cut down our plastic use, what are just like the the, the top few tips that you give people who want to help sort out the way that they deal with the environment and plastic in their family? Absolutely. To help the environment, you don't have to do something massive like start a campaign. When we first started Kids Against Plastic, we did not intend to be running a charity seven and a half years later or whatever down the line. So it doesn't it doesn't have to be something that takes over your life, I promise you. And actually, the more people that are doing something small for our environment, it's so much more important than one person doing something huge. And so I'd say the really great places to start to try and do something to help our planet is firstly, just raise awareness, you know, speak to your family and your school and your friends about what these issues are and what we can all do to help them. And really, I guess, stay positive is my other focus is don't, I guess, pretend that everything's perfect. You don't have to do that. But really just be aware that the impact that you're making and the steps that you're taking are making a difference, even if sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Because some of these issues facing our planet, like plastic pollution, can feel so huge and overwhelming. And it's easy to feel like as one individual, you just can't make a difference. But that couldn't be further from true. And whether it is taking action at home and starting to reduce one use of plastic, or whether it's just speaking to people or taking action at your school, All of these things really add up and they are so priceless to help our planet. 
looking to the future then for you where do you take this in the future like how is kids against plastic and your work with common seas how is that going to impact how you are going to spend uh, i guess your life as an adult at work getting a job like what how much do you think about that Oh gosh, that's a really big question. And I'm in university now, so I'm really trying not to think about questions like that. But I think to be honest, I, I think most young people will find that once you start to get involved in an issue that you're really passionate about, whether it is something environmental related or whether it's something completely different, it's really hard to just break away from it and go, you know what, I'm just going to go and do a job now that's completely different. And I think for me, that's definitely the case. Environmental action and most importantly, youth action around the environment is something that I'm so passionate about. And I'm really looking forward to seeing where Kids Against Plastic goes in the future and the Plastic Clever Schools Initiative to really engage as many young people in this as possible so that Kids Against Plastic isn't something that you know, I'm, I'm nearly 20 now. I'm not technically a kid anymore. And it's something that I'm really passionate about other young people being able to take control of and lead in the future and make their own as well. Uh, if people want to find out more about Kids Against Plastic and how they can help take control and, and help it grow, what, where should they go? Well, we have our website, which is probably the best place to start, which is kidsagainstplastic.co.uk. And on there, you can find our contact details and you can find information about the Kids Against Plastic Club and the different initiatives that we run. And we also, of course, have the Plastic Clever Schools website, which is plasticcleverschools.co.uk, which is where you can find everything you need to get your school involved in taking action for the environment. Loads to do. Amy Meek, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Let's get into this week's Dangerous Dan, where we are heading into the ocean around the Pacific and Indian Oceans to take a look at the oceanic puffer fish. Let's not get too close, though. It's extremely poisonous. In our Dangerous Dan, we look at some of the most mean, weird, strange, deadly things in the universe. And we've actually spoken about puffer fish before. It was the very first that we It was the very first one we did way back at the start. But the oceanic one is something else. It's blue and silvery with huge bulbous eyes. It can puff itself out when it gets scared. It's got a huge head too. The oceanic puffer's proper Latin science name that all creatures have, this one means rabbit head. It's the skin that you need to watch out for. It's covered in something called tetrodotoxin. It's a chemical 1,200 times more dangerous than cyanide. Now, this is amazing because cyanide itself has been a dangerous down. That's how deadly that is. It's a poison. It's extremely dangerous. It's been used for hundreds of years. It was used hundreds of years ago by people to actually poison other people. And this fish's skin is coated in something 1,200 times more powerful, this tetrodotoxin. They're not usually found around this country here in the UK, but sometimes they do make their way over and wash up on beaches. And naturally, people go close to take a look at this strange, boggle-eyed, big rabbit head fish. And they have to be told loudly, no, stay away, don't go near it, that thing. It will be dangerous. It might kill you with just one touch of its skin. And that's why the oceanic pufferfish needs to go straight on our dangerous stand list. Last up this week, let's take a trip to the smartest school in the solar system. We are heading to Deep Space High to take a look at space weather. We've been up there with Professor Pulsar, the teacher at such a genius place, and all our classmates up there, Sam, Stats and Quark. We are learning about how big solar storms can affect things on Earth, like planes or even satellites. (laughs) 
Deep Space High Intergalactic Weather Watch. on is interfering with the ship's mechanisms. What happened, sir? We thought we'd come on the wrong day. We were going to go home. No such luck. We're in the middle of a massive coronal mass ejection and the solar winds are carrying a colossal amount of electrical energy. Up here it can affect anything with electrical circuits. Spacecraft, satellites, communication arrays. And the labs at Deep Space High? Certainly seems like it. Look down there at that Earth airplane. Seems like they're affected too. When there's a big solar storm, space weather can seriously affect airplanes, especially when they're flying around the North or South Poles. It can affect aircraft communications and navigation, and the radiation can be harmful to people too. That's pretty scary. Communications are really important if you're a pilot. You need to be able to talk to the air traffic controllers so that you stay a safe distance from other planes. I'd say navigation is more important. Who wants to get lost? Well, what about radiation? I don't want to be cooked by a solar wind. Not again. It's not fun, I can tell you. It's not just airplanes and space stations that are affected. Don't forget about the satellites up here in orbit. Earth satellites are used to send TV and radio signals across the world, connect our mobile phone networks and deliver the internet too. Don't forget GPS. That's what you lot use for your sat-navs. So if there's a big solar storm and lots of solar activity, you might find all sorts of things don't work the way they should. It's also not just up here that solar energy can be a problem. All the effects from solar weather can reach all the way down through a planet's atmosphere, affecting everyday life. During magnetic storms, solar winds can cause rapid changes in the Earth's magnetic field, which can affect electric currents such as power grids. In the worst case, there could be a complete grid shutdown. It's not just about the power in homes. People on Earth rely on electrical power to keep computers running. And remember, you'll find computers in almost everything, from factories to railways. It sounds kind of scary, sir, although I don't remember it ever happening on Earth. How often does it happen? Well, fortunately, the kind of storm which seriously affects things are very rare. But you can see why scientists think it's sensible to study the activity on the sun and measure solar weather. Yeah, I mean, imagine the internet going off. Can you think of anything worse? Kids today. Class dismissed. Deep Space High Intergalactic Weather Watch with support from the Science and Technology Facilities Council. Find out more at funkislive.com slash space. And that is it for this week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. Thank you so much for listening. If you have anything science-y that you want answered next week on the show, make sure you leave it as a voice note for me on the free Fun Kids app or you can record yourself at funkidslive.com. You've heard some brilliant podcast series we have today. What have we got? What have we had? Technoman, we've had Deep Space High 2. We've got loads more that you can check in on. Listen whenever you like. If you're off summer, save them to your phone. They're on the free Fun Kids app. Google, Spotify, wherever you get your shows, and they're at funkidslive.com too. And Fun Kids, we are a children's radio station from the UK. Listen all over the country on your DAB digital radio and at funkidslive.com. 
Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading!